When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello there, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 376 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing what skills we need as parents to help our children part with their own stuff. Children tend to, or at least my children, tend to attach deep sentiment to their items, not just their fancy toys, but also their rock collection and the crumpled pieces of paper in the corner of the bedroom and sticks and haphazard artwork and everything in between. And as our children get older, it's on us to teach them how to discern their favorite items from what is just excess. But how exactly do we do that? Today, I am speaking with Mary Simpson. She is a shopaholic turned minimalist, and she runs the super popular Minimalism with Mary over on Instagram. Mary, I'm so happy to have you on the show to help me (laughs) help my kids parse through their stuff. How are you? Thank you, Stephanie. I'm so happy to be here and doing great. I just love your podcast. So this is definitely an honor. Well, I love your Instagram account. Holy moly. So many great minimalism and decluttering tips. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your family. Tell us about how you found yourself interested in minimalism. Give us all the details. I came to minimalism about two and a half years ago by accident. So I am admittedly a recovering shopaholic, a recovering workaholic to support my shopping habit. (laughs) And I have a husband and two children. My kids are now seven and a half and five. And I realized that I was really spending all of my time on my career and my clients and working really hard to support this lifestyle. And I was going to miss my kids' childhood and really my own life if I didn't do something about it. Um, I had a big health scare in 2020. Doctors thought I had cancer. It ended up not being, but I had eight months to think about things and really reevaluate what was most important to me. And I realized it wasn't the stuff. And so we ended up decluttering about 75% of our stuff. We downsized our house by that same amount as well. We now live in about a quarter of the space and moved a thousand miles away. We were in the DC area and now live in Southwest Florida, where we have a much slower paced life. I still work full time in the financial services industry, but it does not run my entire life like it used to. And I actually get good quality time with my family now. 
Well, I'm happy to hear you are cancer-free, and I hope your health is uh, on the mend. It sounds to me, though, that you had a big, for lack of a better phrase, come-to-Jesus moment, and you drastically changed the way your family was living. I wonder, though, do you ever have any shopaholic moments, or did the health scare really just take the veil out from over your eyes? You're never going back to that way of living. I wish that I could say that it was just an overnight wake up, like, oh, you just have to stop shopping, and then you stop shopping, and then everything is better. It was not like that. When we decided to downsize and move away, I went on a massive decluttering binge for four months, literally four months, I was decluttering and getting stuff out of the house so that we didn't have to pay to move it down to Florida. During that time, I was so busy decluttering, I didn't have the bandwidth to really do any shopping. And I also knew it wouldn't make sense to buy stuff there before we moved. But once we got to Florida, I did have more time and I started shopping again. And that was when I, I'm not really sure what it was, but I did have an aha moment where I realized if I started shopping again, I was literally going to put myself back in the same position of having too much stuff for our space. And then the way that my brain works is, well, obviously you just need a bigger space. Like, why would you think to get rid of more stuff, you need more space. And so that was really an aha moment for me to have that revelation and say, you know what, I've got to stop shopping. And actually, just a few days ago, I I celebrated, I'm going to call it a celebration, six months of not buying a single piece of clothing, jewelry, accessory, handbag, nothing. And that was always one of my obsessions. I mean, I, I couldn't go six days without buying something, much less six months. Well, six months, that's definitely something to applaud and celebrate. So go you. Think about what you're teaching your children by modeling, right? The stuff isn't what's important. It's the connection and the family and the special time. And we're here to talk about kids today, and we're specifically here to talk about the kids' clutter. That is a big problem in my house. I must say, Mary, before when my kids were younger, my go-to was to just throw out their junk when they weren't looking. And I'm talking legitimate junk. I'm not talking perfectly decent toys that we can pass along. I'm talking dried paint. I'm talking literal junk that they had attached meaning to. Do you have issues with your kids and their stuff? Please tell me I'm not the only one. You're definitely not the only one. No, my my kids are such collectors. And I, I hesitate to use the word junk because it is junk to me, but to them, they're treasures and their collections. I do try to really walk that fine line of, you know, okay, this stuff really is trash. <laughs> we need to get out of the house. And okay, you love this stuff. My son, again, he's seven and a half. He'll take a piece of paper and he will rip it up into like half an inch little pieces and just leave it on a pile in the ta- on the table in his room. And then I see a calculator next to it. And I'm thinking, okay, there's something that he's doing here that I have no idea what, but I, I can't go in and just take it all away. You know, it is something that we have to, I have to kind of ask the questions like, what are you doing here? And then once it's been a little while, I think that time is our friend where we have to allow time for our children to have their fun with whatever the junk slash treasure may be. 
before we really say, you know, okay, have you had enough fun? Can we go ahead and get rid of these things? Well, I love what you're saying there. I think what you're saying there is tip one, right? Respect your children by respecting their stuff. And when they were younger and they didn't have the mental, physical maturity to take care of their stuff, that was on me as the mom. But these days, they're six and nine. They're older. And throwing out their stuff when they're at school is not a good look. (laughs) I think that can create a lot of issues down the road. As parents, we want to do what's best for our children, and we don't want them to live surrounded by junk and clutter, but we're also not doing any service to them if we go in and just take care of the issue on our own. We've got to really teach them and coach them through it and help them recognize when something no longer needs to be held onto and how good it can feel afterwards. Each person, child or adult, is unique. And so it's going to happen at different times and different paces, but it can be done. Yeah. I think about myself. Clutter really stresses me out. I work from home and seeing piles of junk, whether it be mine or my children's or just common stuff, it's hard for me to work in that environment. And so I find myself wondering for my children, if clutter affects my internal state, so deeply. I wonder if it's also affecting theirs. Is it stressing them out? Is having 16 different toys all being played with at the same time, what is that doing to their concentration? But I do hear your point there. There is a fine line to be walked between keeping it all and giving them 100%, I guess, control. And so what I'd love to talk to you about today, Mary, is the teaching, the guiding, and the modeling of how to teach our kids or how to show our kids when it's time to pare down the sticks, pare down (laughs) the leaves, the shells, the crumpled pieces of papers. And so let's talk first about artwork, because I get so many emails about kids' artwork, and you have a really great system, for lack of a better word. Tell me all about it. Yeah. So my son in particular is the little artist. Not only does he do art at school, at camp, but he also does it at home. He is all day, every day creating stuff. So there's just paper flying around everywhere, it feels like. Specifically with stuff that is coming home from school and camp, I admittedly will just put it all in a drawer when it comes home because they're coming home at the end of the day. We have homework to do. We're trying to get dinner ready so we can sit down for a family meal. So we have created what I I call a homework drawer. They always do their homework together at the island in our kitchen. And there is a drawer that is part of our pantry system, but it's right there next to it. And so I cleared everything out of it. It shares some space with my vitamins, but most of the drawer is their homework stuff. And I will put all the artwork as well as other paperwork that they bring home in there to deal with at a later point. So what my process tends to look like is for starters, pulling all of the artwork into one place for each child. So one child at a time. And I like them to pick out their favorites And with the favorites, typically that's going to be something that will go on to a cork board in their room. We now have a large cork board in each child's room, and that's really their area that they get to display items. 
And if the cork board gets full, something's got to come off for something else to go on. Um, at the point in time that we are pulling something off of the cork board, because maybe it's going to be replaced, we will then decide if it's something that we want to keep forever, or at least forever for now, you know, go into the, the box where we keep all of their forever things. But in addition to the cork board and the save forever, one other category that kind of comes from the favorites is thinking about items that they may want to give to somebody. So artwork that they may want to give to somebody. And I came up with this because something that really helped me with my mindset shift to give up items that I look at and I think, oh, this is a nice item. I should keep this. I could use this. I like looking at it. I like to ask myself, could someone else benefit from it more or would someone else enjoy it more? And a lot of the time that allows me to part with the item. We'll ask about grandparents and sometimes they'll give artwork away to one of their friends that we're going to be seeing this upcoming weekend, knowing that friend may not keep it forever. But you know, just that act of giving and thinking of someone else, which I think can be carried over to any decluttering, but artwork as well. From there, we go through anything that should be recycled or trashed. We try to minimize the trash, but if it's got glitter on it, that's where it's got to go. And with the items that are going to be recycled or trashed, I'll say, you know, is there anything you want to have your picture taken with or take a picture of before parting with it? Because I think sometimes that can help with the letting go process just to know they've still got a little something left behind. So it's, it's a constant reevaluation of everything that's coming in. I love the drawer idea for artwork and also for school papers, right? Like you're not getting rid of anything. The child is totally empowered, 100% empowered to make decisions that are right for them. What do they want to display and what do they not? Because what you're really doing there is you're saying to them, some artwork, some school papers are better than others, right? And so we're then teaching them to not look at all things that come home as having equal weight. We're teaching them to discern between what is phenomenal and what is just excess, I think is what you're saying there. I can see the drawer working really well for my six-year-old. She's in kindergarten. She is learning how to read. She's learning how to add and subtract. And she is super proud of herself. And she is, like, at the moment when she comes home with a worksheet or a paper, she's so proud of it. And she really wants to keep it. But three weeks later, She's already learned she's already on to learning something else. And so that paper then no longer is important. And so instead of me sticking it in the recycling bin when she's not looking, I could keep it in a drawer for two or three weeks and encourage and empower her to make that decision her own. I love that idea. But you did mention the artwork to keep for a while, maybe until your children are adults. How do you store that? So right now I have a plastic bin that is just kind of short and wide. It fits under a bed, but I just kind of put most of it in there. Sometimes I get asked, how much should you keep for your child? I personally had wonderful parents, um, but they saved everything. My mom in particular saved 
everything. And I just recently, like in the last two months, found every report card I had from kindergarten through eighth grade. And she saved all of my artwork. She, I mean, literally every single thing that I ever did. She, one of my funniest things is she saved the hospital booties from the labor and delivery room that my dad wore there. Like she, she saved it all. Wait, like the, like the paper booties that your dad wore? Literally the paper booty that goes over your shoe. I'm like, this has been on a hospital floor on my dad's shoe. Like this thing is disgusting. So it it did not make the cut when we moved. I'm fortunate in that I know that I'm loved. And I know that there are other people who I've talked to where they wish that their parents had kept something for them because they have literally nothing. They don't have their childhood photos. They don't have any mementos. And I think it's important for us to think about our own experience and what was saved for us when we think about how much from a quantity perspective to save. Because when my dad showed up with a pickup truck and all of these boxes in the back to unload at my house, because it was all my childhood stuff, it was overwhelming. That is the one resonating word that I can use for that situation. It was overwhelming. I don't want to overwhelm my kids the way that I felt when I got all of my childhood stuff. So I think keeping it to, you know, a a box or two for their whole childhood, and maybe you save a little bit more in the early years, but then you reevaluate, you know, kind of like what you were saying, Stephanie, with three weeks from now, your daughter's going to know so much more than she did three weeks ago when you can get rid of those old papers. Kind of the same thing. Like I realized once it's gone, it's gone and you can't get it back. So it is okay to err on the side of caution and maybe keep a little bit extra and keep your personal experience in mind, but don't go crazy. I'm happy you brought all of that up, especially, and no shade to your mother at all. She sounds like such a loving and wonderful mom. My mom also, when I moved out, gave me a few boxes of my childhood things. And I looked through the box recently, actually. I just kind of stuck it in the basement. But then I looked through it recently, and once was enough. Like, I'm not going to continuously open that box and (laughs) revisit my childhood. Once was plenty. And so my point here is that your mom and my mom did something, which was a path of least resistance. It was to shove all the stuff in a box and then put the lid on the box and put it away. That's a path of least resistance. On the other extreme is my old path of least resistance, which is throw out my kids' junk when they're not around. Those are both easy and quick fix solutions. The middle road, the road that we are trying to pave today is the harder route. It is the respecting your children enough to make decisions about their own stuff. It is the teaching and modeling to them of how to pare down your stuff. And so, Mary, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to continue to pave that path because my nine-year-old especially, she is still struggling with this. So quick sponsor break, and then we'll be right back. So many of us have chaotic Closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back today. I'm speaking with Mary Simpson. She is the voice, the personality behind this super popular minimalism with Mary on Instagram. We will link to her in the show notes friends. But Mary, before the break, we were talking about the middle path, right? Not either extremes of saving everything and putting it in a box and not the other path of throwing our kids stuff out when they're not looking. The middle path is the harder path. It is involving our children in the managing of their own stuff process. What are your thoughts on that? Like, it does take more time. It does take more energy. It is more taxing, especially on the parent. Do you have any words of encouragement? Yeah. So I think that for starters, by the time most children are maybe around four, it's good to start having these conversations. And I think one of the most important things that we can do is model the behavior that we want to teach our children. And so my children see me decluttering and you know, pulling something out of the closet or out of a kitchen cabinet. And I like to vocalize what it is that I'm doing and why as a teachable moment for them. For example, oh, I just realized that we have this extra cheese grater and we really only need one. So we're going to give this one away to somebody who doesn't have a cheese grater because that will be something really helpful for them when they're cooking. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the same conversation with clothes, with the idea being that here's the reason why, you know, whatever the thought process is, it doesn't fit, it's scratchy, we don't use it, but also how it can benefit someone else. And even though a lot of the time it's going to some organization where we don't personally know the end recipient, 
I try to make it personalized enough for their benefit so that they can really think through and almost imagine someone receiving whatever the item is and how it will help them and how they'll feel. So in addition to modeling, I also like to start with what I would consider low-hanging fruit. Children obviously are constantly growing and outgrowing their clothes. And I think that clothing is a great opportunity for us to teach these lessons because if the child can no longer wear something because it's too small, it's really not serving them. There's really no point to them keeping it. I like to help my kids see like, okay, you know, this is something that is really too small for you now. You know, would you agree? Oh yeah. You know, I've, I've got a new shirt that I can wear that's the right size. And think through the act of giving it away. And for my son, we actually have a good friend with a little boy who's a little bit smaller. And so we just recently gave him a bunch of his old clothes because they would fit him. And he was delighted. And every time uh, I talked to the mom, she said, oh yeah, my son was wearing your son's clothes and that's all that he wants to wear. And you know, really relayed that to my son so that he could see how much joy he brought this other child by giving something away to him. I totally agree and have seen this happen with my own children and especially with toys. When I've noticed that they're not playing with something as much, it's one thing to say, let's give this away to goodwill, some nameless, faceless person, right? It's a whole other thing to say, oh, I notice you're not playing with your Barbie dream house anymore. What if we give it to your friend? They are way more interested in parting with the Barbie dream house that they're not playing with, but they still have an attachment to. If they're giving it to somebody, maybe even somebody, a child that they know that's younger, so they know that it's going to a actual friend, an actual family member. That is huge for children. And that's a big tip that has worked for me. I also want to talk about like the importance of having containers for your kids' stuff. I find that containers and kids' stuff work really well because that is a visual. When the kids see that the container, the literal box, the literal plastic bin, the literal drawer, whatever it is, is full. That's when they have to make some potentially difficult decisions because there's no more room to hold the stuff. How do you use containers in your own home? I am a huge fan of containers. <laughs> Love them. Swear by them. Um, now, of course, you have to declutter before you go and buy the, the containers. Full disclosure there. But yeah, my daughter, who's five, has what, what I call a treasure box. I guess that's just kind of the name we gave it. Every time she comes home with something from school where they let her pick a goodie out of the treasure box, or she goes to the dentist and they let her pick something out, you know, they're, they're constantly coming home with these teeny tiny little things. And as much as I would love to just immediately get them out of the house, they bring her joy and she loves playing with them. And so I'm not going to do that. But we will contain them to the treasure box. And when it gets full, usually at this stage, I still have to bring it to her attention. Like, hey, sweetie, that, that treasure box is getting a little full, isn't it? So we'll sit down and we'll dump the whole thing out on the floor. Yeah, I think that it's important to get all of the like 
items. So in this case, all of the junk that goes in the treasure box, get it all in one place so you can see what you have and really take stock, but then go through and figure out what's broken, what's missing apart, what's no longer played with so that you can whittle it down and make sure that you're keeping it to that space. But you know, I think that containers are just such a key and it could even be a shelf. The shelf serves as a container And I love shelves for kids' toys because they can visually see what they have, but you don't want it to be a cluttered shelf because then they see it all, but they see nothing at the same time. You know, it does get overwhelming. And that's where I'll sometimes go in and I'll kind of take the things out that I don't see them playing with. And I'll actually put it away, more or less a toy rotation. And then if they seem like they're getting tired of something or if they ask about something that I put away then I'll pull it back out and get it back into circulation at that point. Yeah. As you're talking there, I'm thinking about a comment that one of my friends who listens to my show made to me. Christine, I'm talking about you if you're listening. Christine basically made the comment that, you know, as minimalists, we want our kids to realize that stuff doesn't have significant value. Like, real living, real joy is not found in physical items. They're found more in intangibles. However, if we as parents are discarding or donating or doing whatever with our kids' stuff when they're not around, what we're really doing is we're making our kids reflexively care more about their stuff, be possessive about their stuff because we're taking it away from them when they're not looking. And so minimalism often can come down, at least in my house, to control. I feel as though I like control and I like to have control over my environment. However, I think that when it comes to the kids' stuff, It comes down to relinquishing a bit of control and circling back to where we started today, Mary. It's about respecting our kids by respecting their stuff. I completely agree with that. I am, I'm very type A. I like to be in control of everything. And that has been something that I've had to really work on is knowing, okay, I am now a minimalist. That is how I choose to live my life. But my children aren't. And even my husband, my husband's not. I don't want to force my beliefs on them because I think that in the long run, it can backfire. And it does end up creating issues with potential hoarding and other behaviors that aren't actually desirable once they're adults and independent and you're not there to coach them through all these things any longer. Yes. And just to take that one step further, I will be completely frank and say that my oldest daughter, she sometimes hides her most favorite things. I think she's hiding them from me. And that is the biggest red flag that has ever been waved in front of me ever, right? I don't want my kid to hide stuff because she thinks I'm going to get rid of it when she's not looking. That is the opposite of what I am trying to instill in this household. And so it really does come down to sitting on the floor, working through with our children what is a love and what is just a like, what is a favorite and what is just something we're keeping around, knowing that we're not going to answer all these big questions immediately, but empowering our children to know what's best for their own stuff. I think that's really the bottom line. 
Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think also when they are decluttering, giving them praise, wow, that must feel really good to let go of that and know that you're giving it to someone who's going to love it and enjoy it and have so much fun playing with it. Or just asking, how did that feel? And getting them to really start to be introspective and start that motion of thinking it through on their own so that they can continue to recreate that down the road. I love it. Mary, tell us all about your Instagram handle, minimalism underscore with underscore Mary. (laughs) I'll link to it in the show notes. What do you do over there and why should we all follow you? I follow you and I learn an awful lot. Tell us about it. Well, thank you. So I am all about decluttering the excess, focusing on what really matters, a very practical version of minimalism. It's not the barren walls and barren rooms type of minimalism at all. I do also have a a large focus on slowing the shopping habit and just slowing the inflow of stuff into our homes. And the overarching theme across all of that is living intentionally and doing what lights you up day in and day out. We get one chance at this life. So let's get it right. I love it. And I'm so happy to have connected with you, Mary. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm Again, I'm such a fan of your podcast. I always love hearing all the environmental tips and all the other minimalism tips. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 376. And we do have an eco tip today. It comes from listener Abby. Abby wanted me to shout from the rooftops that pressure cookers are amazing. Abby says that she uses her pressure cooker to cook beans. She buys dried beans, which are generally healthier and cheaper than the ones in the can. She cooks them in her pressure cooker with no stress. She says that with a pressure cooker, she can get lentil soup on the table in 20 minutes. She loves hers. She uses it all the time. So for those of you who, you know, just continue to feel as though cooking is a stress, perhaps a pressure cooker is for you. So thank you so much, Abby. What a great tip. I do not have a pressure cooker, but your email enticed me to look into it. Listeners, I will see you back here on Thursday. Reach out if you need me as always and take care.